Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. I'm Natalie Walton and this is Imprint a podcast about creating a home and life you love. Each week, I'm here to share with you some of the biggest lessons I've learned during my career and life. Some of them I wish I'd learned a lot sooner because they would have saved me a huge amount of time, stress, and even money. Many of these ideas could have accelerated my journey as a creative and business owner. I also feature interviews with inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and experts to help you focus on what's most important in your life. Today, I'm going to interview writer and photographer Kasturi Wren, who also creates the most beautiful homes in her spare time. Anyway, more on that in a moment. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to thank you for all of your beautiful comments and feedback on this podcast. If you haven't done so already, it would mean so much if you could please subscribe, rate and review wherever you're listening to the podcast today. It really does help other like-minded creatives out there find this content and help them on their journey too. Okay, back to today's episode. Hello everyone, I hope you're all well. 
I am excited to share this interview with you. I had to take up the opportunity to go to the Blue Mountains and visit Kaz Wren, who some of you will know from her Instagram feed, Wren and Whippet. And she had just recently sold her country cottage in the Blue Mountains. And I visited a few days before she left the house for the very last time. So I've got some behind the scenes pics to share with you on my newsletter. You can go and see those if you subscribe to nataliewalton.com. Anyway, I, it's a very long interview, but we had so much fun recording it. So I really hope you enjoyed listening into our conversation. And I hope you enjoy learning more about Kaz and her creative journey. Hi, Kaz. Thank you so much for welcoming me into your home. It is um, been such a pleasure to actually see it in real life because obviously I'm quite familiar with it on Instagram. And then to sort of step into here, it's it's even more beautiful and it's such an experience to actually be here. We're in the Blue Mountains and it's a cold, slightly raining evening. Yeah. It's dark all around us and um, yeah, it's really setting the, the mood and the tone. So yes. Actually, it's thrilling to have you here. Um, oh, you've you. come a long way and uh, it's wonderful uh, to have you um, experience this home even though I, I only have it for another week. Uh, but yeah, I'm really touched and I'm excited to do this actually and to talk to you. Yeah, well, I had to take the opportunity. I had to come and see it for myself. Yeah. So, because I, I love visiting homes and just getting that feel for them. So, but today or this evening, we're going to talk about you and your kind of creative journey. And, uh, but let's, let's start at the beginning. So can you just tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and um, a little bit of your journey before you kind of got to those later high school years where then you start to decide what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Can you share some of that with us? Well, I was born in Colombo, Sri Lanka, and I was born in 1980, which makes me 40, um, a good solid age. I, uh, you know, well, my family, were as many Sri Lankans uh, uh, lived in a communal uh, home where you had your grandparents, your uncles and aunties. In fact, my parents were neighbours. They lived on the same street. And the street is called Madangahawatalain. So they were neighbours, they met. And so we had really two homes. Uh, we had my mother's home and my father's home. And I think that childhood and the first seven years of my life really set the basis for who I am um, in many, many ways. They say, show me the, the child at seven, I'll show you the man, but, you know, and I think that's very true. My grandfather was uh, the chief engineer in Sri Lanka and my uncle had an architectural firm that was set from the home. So I grew up with like, you know, draftsmen walking in and out of the house, drawings everywhere, um, engineering, architecture books everywhere. And um, going to, you know, my, my uncle would bring big, large tires from his uh, work site and he would make us uh, cubby houses. You know, it was, th that was the foundation. It was this, this world of the home. Uh, 
um, was such a big, massive factor. And I was surrounded by creative people who, you know, were actually their whole job was about designing the home. Um, so that was my father's side. And my mother's side, um, I had a, a grandfather who owned uh, Columbus' biggest uh, photography store. It's so all making sense it's, now. <laughs> it's just combining, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, those two, I guess, factors, elements of my childhood continue to, to remain and, and grow and blossom into my adulthood. And so at what point did you come to Australia? So we are Tamil, Sri Lankans, and uh, the country went into a 30-year bloody civil war. We had to flee Sri Lanka. And so we left Sri Lanka in 1987 and came to Sydney. But actually before we came to Sydney, we spent about two years in Saudi Arabia because my father worked there. And then we went to Sri Lanka, and I remember the memories um, vaguely, but as a young person, it was still, you know, imprinted in my mind. There were curfews, there was bombings happening. Um, we actually left Sri Lanka two days before the biggest uh, bloodshed in the city. And had we been there, who knows? You know, and I, I didn't realize that until a couple of years ago when I returned to Sri Lanka and I was reading, I just looked at the date and I said to my mom, you know, that, that date, is that like the date that we went to Saudi Arabia? She said, yeah, just two days before, massive riots, a lot of Tamils were killed and um, in such a horrific way, women, children. So it was. Yeah, it, it was fortunate for us, but uh, it definitely uh, was sad because it's a country, it was a childhood I loved, and it was a country that seemed to be destroyed by that, that war. The war ended in 2009, so I have been able to go back and, and enjoy it and rekindle my love. Yeah. And, and so did you have, I mean, you said, you know, you, there were elements of creativity around you, but do you have a sense that you were creative as a child or is that something that you think came much later? It's funny. Uh, my mum said to me that all she needed to do was put me in a, a cot with a piece of paper and a pen and I will just be entertaining myself for hours and hours. And I think I was quite an introverted child, so I'd have my little, my toys and my rock <laughs> and, I, you know, I would have my drawings in my little world. I remember, though, two things that I felt was the beginning of my artistic life. The first was my mum. She, she was actually quite a good an, an amazing artist as a young person and then motherhood came and she stopped that but she used to have this um, art book full of drawings that she did when she was younger including drawing, drawings of her father of people in her family and it was in this beautiful you know antique um, art drawing book 
and she'd keep it hidden. And of course, my sister and I were so intrigued. We're like, we want, we, you know, we want to look at what's in there. Um, and when my mom would turn around, we'd quickly grab this art book to just have a look. And then when my mom realized that we were looking, she's like, stop, kids, you know, run away. It's, it's, it's precious to me. Like she didn't, I realize now that she, it meant so much to her. It was, uh, I guess, something that she longed for. And she didn't want to destroy it, but too. <laughs> um, um, yeah, naughty kids. So that was the first thing where I was just like, wow, you can draw pictures and they're beautiful. The second was uh, a book that my mom had. And I must have been about, I must have been seven or eight. But it was a book by Tony Hart, I think it was. Um, he did uh, the Dynamite or uh, there was, uh, I can't even remember the character. But he wrote a book on how to draw. And I remember always looking at it and then learning how to draw the face, the lines, the nose, the eyes. And that was at that young age, um, really getting into to drawing. I think those were the two big memories that I had that still, you know, is with me today. And then what about when you were at high school and getting to that stage where you're having to think about, you know, career and what you do after school? Yep. What what was the path that you were then taking and, and I guess why perhaps? When I was, uh, when I started high school, I remember seven and eight art class. Uh, I went to school near Camden. I, I went to school, um, the high school I went to was Eldersley High School. And the teacher would give me 99% for everything that I did, you know, so he was like, you're talented. And that was when I was, the first time I actually had a, um, someone else recognize what I was doing and um, compliment me and support me. So that started this confidence that I had in, in my ability and this need to do it. And I was part of this creative class that was out after school. So I was, I was starting to be um, seen and noticed and supported. And I think that's that's really important outside of your family to to have that support at school. And when it comes to writing, I remember there was a competition. And by the way, that time I started to fall in love with two different authors. One was um, Ellen Montgomery, Anna Green Gables. My sister and I would be lost. We were we were the race of joseph you know <laughs> we we were the romantics the Anne girl um and the other book completely opposite jl tolkien i was into lord of the rings really really loved um the the lord of the rings so i would uh, i would sit down with my siblings and they would they were much younger than i was and i would start to tell them stories and usually the story would be about some orphan you know, uh, and it would be sad and miserable and they'd, they'd be crying before they go to bed. <laughs> but they loved my little storytelling. And I remember at school there was a competition, you know, uh, write your own story, write a story, win a prize. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll give this a go. So I sat down 
And I wrote this story about, um, loosely based on my own life, <laughs> uh, about this uh, little girl who uh, played the guitar because I had started playing the guitar when I was about uh, 10. And that started when I noticed the guitar at school when I was eight. And I said to my mom, I want to play that instrument. And so she found someone to teach me. And I started classical guitar training. So my father, though, he saw it as a Western instrument, so he didn't approve. And he would forbid me from playing it at home. So I wrote this story about this little girl whose father didn't approve of the guitar, but she'd go off and, you know, she'd go off into town and she'd play the guitar in front of people and earn money and bring it home to her family. And then one day her father actually went into town to see it and she was playing it and she looks up and he's looking at her with tears brimming in his eyes, you know. So I wrote this, this story that kind of tried to change and alter my own life. And um, then I submitted it. And then uh, the next week I walk into the library and my whole story is up on the wall with the sign winner. <laughs> and I was just so happy. I was like the best thing I've ever won. Uh, and yeah, I was just thrilled. So that was my first published work. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's the beginning um, in high school. But my dad, of course, he had other ideas about what I should be doing. And he didn't really approve of art. So I wasn't able to do art from year eight. And I had to focus on the maths and sciences and the chemistry, all that, all those things that I really didn't love <laughs> at all. So I also changed schools again and again. Um, so yeah, I think through high school, that part of me at school was, was, sort of muffed out but at home I had my face in a book I would have cheese in one hand and a book in another and my mum will always be reminding me that I was still living I had to still do things around the house and be part of the family but it was always head in a book so uh yeah did you have any sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, were you one of those people or or you weren't quite sure? Oh, yeah, I knew. When I was 15, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I was, I admired uh, Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. My father would get us to watch um, Attenborough's uh, Gandhi, the movie, over and over again, <laughs> and instill in us this desire to, or this aspiration to do something great in our life and to make a difference to the world. And Gandhi was one of those people that he would always just constantly talk to us about. And so, yeah, he was, he, I, I loved everything about Gandhi, including his belief. Um, when it came to nonviolence and uh, satyagraha, which was his way, his um, 
philosophy when it comes to protest. And for me, that was important because there was a civil war happening in Sri Lanka. My family had very strong views about that. But I was always, you know, it, it always impressed upon me that, oh, well, there's Gandhi and he, he had a different approach to, to making a difference. So that's why the law became something I wanted to do because Gandhi was the lawyer and uh, so was Nelson Mandela. I don't think they were great lawyers, <laughs> but they were still lawyers and I think um, being lawyers, it can be very powerful. And, and so then did that become your primary focus then, yeah. sort of for those like post-school years and until you got to the point where you became, you yeah. know, you became a practicing lawyer? I, well, I remember I was 15 when I absolutely knew. And the problem I had was, of course, you have to get these amazingly high marks, which, you know, I, I always said my sister was the brains and <laughs> I was just the passionate one who, I wasn't even a hard worker, she was a hard worker, but I wanted to, I wanted it so bad. And my mom arranged for me to do work experience at a local law firm in Campbelltown. And I remember being just mortified that the lawyers there were absolutely not Gandhian at all. <laughs> they, they were talking about their credit cards and very materialistic. And I thought, mm, this is not, this is not the, uh, the socially driven kind of person that I want to be. But that was okay. I did that. But I was still adamant. My last two years of school was spent at Holston Agricultural High School. And um, I had an opportunity in year 12 to actually start my law degree at Western Sydney. So, yeah, I, I started a law degree and I was able to use that and um, my marks to, to, to get into law, but I didn't get into law straight away. Uh, because I didn't quite get the marks I needed. So I, it was going to have to be the second round of preferences. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, like, what if I don't get, what if I don't get it, you know? So my backup plan was to um, enroll in the Bachelor of Engineering. I wanted to follow my grandfather's footsteps if, if I had to. But I always thought still I'd end up back in the law. So I went and enrolled in New South. Uh, and I remember when the second round was coming out and going to be publicized in the paper, I remember that moment. I went to the news agency in Campbelltown, and I grabbed the paper, and I went to the car, and I sat there nervously <laughs> looking at the front page, and then I turned the pages, and I was looking for my name, see, C, 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 because my maiden name is Kumaraswamy. And there it was. I'd been accepted into a Bachelor of Law, Bachelor of Economics and Finance at Western Sydney. And must, it must have been the happiest moment of my life, really. And, uh, yeah, that, that was my path, my career path and how I ended up in the law. And so during those years, did your creative side, was that still kind of subdued and you sort of were really focused on law or did you have did it, it kind of sort of, sort of emerge in other ways i well i was always still 
very musical. I was still uh, writing. I was still drawing. I did a lot of uh, my my world, my home life, and how I was able to deal with a lot of difficult things happening in my childhood and in my family. How I dealt with it was to turn to creativity. So I wasn't following that as a career path, but it was definitely essentially um, the basis to build up resilience in, in, a, in a world that I, I uh, could have been very traumatic, yeah. you know, and, and certainly had different impact on different members of the family. But uh, for me, I found, I think the creative world saved me you know, in addition to friends, but that was a big factor. And when I was in uni, uh, perhaps one of the biggest milestones to my entire life happened at uni. I remember sitting in a cafe and there was a brochure that said summer school at Cambridge. And I thought, oh, this looks cool. So I looked at it and it said you can go and study at Cambridge over the summer. So I said to my dad, I would love to do this. It would be a dream. And, you know, he got some money together for my grandma, sent me to Cambridge. And that for me was a massive creative. Uh, it changed me. Like I changed me even in my physical appearance. Uh, it transformed me. I went from a girl who was, I guess, introverted, hidden, um, escaping in my creative world, but also, yes, I was focused on being a lawyer, but I was very, very shy in, in many ways to someone who, uh, you know, was willing to, to actually follow a dream and so, or, or follow who I am. And I remember cutting my hair, which is a big deal. So I went to Balham in London. I went, cut my hair off. Then I went to Camden Markets, changed my entire outfit and got all these, you know, bohemian clothes. I went to Cambridge and I didn't have a lot of money. So whatever money I had, I went and hired a guitar. And I would take breakfast and have it for lunch. And then, and then meet at the dinner time at the dining hall at Gonville and Keys College. And I lost all this weight because I wasn't eating. <laughs> so it was, it was great. But I studied, I, out of the subjects um, that I could choose from, I studied uh, romanticism. So we studied Byron, Shelley, Keats. And I also studied post-economic history after World War II. <laughs> so... <laughs> that was me going, I better do something practical because I've got my economics degree, but I'm also going to do something completely creative. So when I was at Cambridge, I would write poetry and play music. And you know what happened? So here I was all alone, never actually been away from home in my whole life. I was 20. I just filled my room, my wall up with postcards that I'd got from Camden Markets, like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan. And then I started playing the guitar in the main hall area and it just started attracting people. 
before I knew it, I just had all these friends who, some of whom I'm still good friends with. And they were all from everywhere, like Switzerland, New York. And, it, and I remember saying to, uh, them saying to me, how could you be a lawyer? You're so creative. <laughs> you know? You're playing music and you're writing poetry. And there was a, an open mic night and this was the first time I read my poetry out loud. Uh, and that was, yeah, that was pretty, pretty important for my, my life. So when I got back home, my friends were like, what the heck happened to you? <laughs> you look different. You sound different. You're writing poetry. You're just blossoming. So, yeah, it was good. It's, this is fascinating because now I feel like all the pieces that I've kind of had a glimpse of you are coming together to paint. Like I was like, ah, because I remember during um, sort of the first round of COVID and you'd be like reciting poetry or playing your guitar. You were, um, I mean, obviously you have these beautiful homes and, but I knew that you would a lawyer as well. I'm like, how does this, like all these things come together? Yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting. So I guess my first encounter with you was when, um, I think actually you had my first book, This Is Home, and there was a photo of it in your, former home the first one or the well it's the first one that I know of that you renovated um was that your first home that you renovated yeah uh the the first house in Lura was not the first home I renovated it was actually a, a brand new build right okay before that uh um we had bought and sold homes in the inner west but like apartment or uh, my biggest project I think would have been this um, corner shop that had been converted into a home and it had 1929 in the top and I I remember thinking oh my goodness this is like shop around the corner from uh, um, you know the movie with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan uh, you've got mail right, yeah. so I'm like this is my shop around the corner and I loved it. I um, you know, painted the walls. I, I started painting a lot when I was in that house, just, you know, fine art. And I was thinking about lighting. And I was also bringing a bit of my eccentric side into the home. So I went to an old antique uh, store in Marrickville. And I got these massive big letters um, that said Zing and put it in the kitchen. And I, I know that most people didn't really get it. <laughs> but for me, I had it surrounded with uh, neon lights and I would sit there at nighttime with my wine going, oh, zing, <laughs> and have a little giggle because that was just my thing. So I think that was my first real stint at renovating and interiors and getting to understand what I liked. And what I didn't like, and it still hadn't developed yet. To be honest, um, I think I was just doing whatever came to me, and um, I would read magazines, but I hadn't yet got, got my style, or got, got, or understood what made me feel absolutely at home and comfortable, and what a home actually meant. So yeah, that was the beginning. And so, and this was you were doing this while you're still working yep. as a lawyer so I was working in a very 
a big law firm, an international law firm, and I, I'd been there for a very long time. So I was pursuing my career in a very, very rigorous way. I became what um, they didn't have partners, but because it was a listed law firm, but essentially I was a partner there and I took on a leadership role. So, yeah, I think towards the end of my time um, at this law firm, I was exhausted. I, I was giving everything to it. And I was people manage, you know, managing people. And that's very stressful. So, uh, it, you know, it was also the beginning, though, of me understanding a lot more about business development. And my creative side came in there because business development is all about telling a story, you know, telling the story of your brand, um, telling the story of whatever services you're offering other people. And my work as a lawyer was also about telling the story of my client to very large insurance companies. So, you know, I would uh, sit in front of a, a big insurer and say, well, you know, my client next door, he's not just a, a number, he's a father. <laughs> he's someone's son. <laughs> and they just roll their eyes and go, here we go. Cass is going to start this spiel. And, and I thought that was really important to tell um, the story of a person and, and remove the, um, the kind of paper-driven um, metric way of defining people yeah okay you'll have a, a table with numbers saying okay well this person's worth two million dollars but yeah tell it, telling the story though changed the conversation a lot so i was i was bringing my creative world into my my legal world but uh, during that time i was i didn't actually have time to do anything personally um creatively that is. So as I said, you know, I came into contact with you through your your former home and what at that stage were you then still working a lot in the law firm or had you sort of um taken some time out to do that build because I mean doing a build is a big job. Well, at that stage we had decided not to have children. So that was that was big, and we thought, well, look, the Sydney market is really expensive. Why don't we build a home in Lura in the Blue Mountains? And for me, as a child, the Blue Mountains was a place where we escaped to. Um, we had friends who had a, a cottage here, and it was a, a stark contrast to the red brick built uh, home that you know we grew up in. So it was romanticism. It represented Anne of Green Gables, picking up logs to go and light the fire and watching Out of Africa. It, that's my memory of the mountains. So when we were deciding where to buy, I was like, it has to be Lura. <laughs> it has to be the mountains because that's what I always considered would be a place that was the most romantic for me. So we thought, okay, let's do that. I'll continue working in the law firm, 
and and at the same time we can get um, you know my brother-in-law to work with my husband to build this house in Lura. So I remember the first step would be finding the land and that was hard. And when we found this plot of land, I knew straight away because it had this tree-lined driveway. And I was always looking for elements that I knew I could work from. The actual plot of land was like a forest full of trees, but it had this beautiful tree-lined driveway with large pine trees. And I thought, this is it. <laughs> so we bought it and we... We thought we're going to build a storybook kind of home. And we started the design process. Uh, I would do all the, the drawings for the kitchen. And goodness, <laughs> I, I made mistakes for sure because I don't know how to do that. Um, I didn't even know how to draw anything architectural. But the kitchen guy would be like, okay, so where's my drawing i'm like what the heck you want me to draw the kitchen okay fine and so i was i was learning a lot about what what a kitchen should have and you know the the triangle all that sort of thing and that's when i first started to do a mood board drawings of the interiors and how i wanted it to look like i started to source every detail of a home you know I didn't realize that building a home or renovating a home was making decisions about things that really you didn't think mattered, <laughs> from cornices to the color white. Like, let's just get white paint. No, there's a million different types of white paint uh, to doorknobs um, and, uh, and what type of door to get how heavy it would be, um, the light doors, the timber, uh, it's just everything. So it was a big job and I did that while working. Yeah, I actually don't know how I did that. Uh, that was a crazy time. But I'd go up and down. So we, and were you living in Sydney at the time? Living in Sydney, wow. yeah. And so I'd go up and down. Um, but for me, to be honest, um, building the house, thinking about the house, designing the home became for me um, a thing of um, the thing I dreamt of at night, the thing that I would love to escape to when I had a moment to myself. It was a joy. It wasn't a stress at all. And um, every moment I had, it would be like drawing and going out and sourcing things. So if that was just remar remarkable. I think the hardest part of it was thinking it would never end. It just I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to finish this? <laughs> because it just seemed to go on forever and ever. I think we took about two years to, to finish the build. But I remember standing after the foundation was done standing where the lounge room would be and just dreaming about what it would be like to actually have the house built and uh eventually it was done it it, it finished and that time actually 
began a whole different path for me. So when I was finishing the house, that's when um, my husband said, uh, well, you know what, you can leave the law firm, start your own practice. And I thought, yes, <laughs> sounds like an amazing, great, great plan. So I, I had to wait until we actually finished the build before I can take that step to, to leave my job. Were you designing it with a view to live in it yeah. as a house or were you designing it with a view to just something you were going to develop and then sell on? Well, we designed it to be our forever home. And, and so it had everything that, um, you know, my husband wanted and it had everything I wanted, little elements. Like I want the cathedral ceiling. I wanted the French fireplace. I wanted... Um, a beautiful bedroom that had an ensuite where you could see from the bedroom, uh, you can see the bathroom. And it had all those features. Um, my husband wanted a workshop and a, a garage and all that. And, I, and also I wanted a beautiful garden. I remember going to Miles Baldwin, who's a landscape architect in Sydney, and I said, come and see this land. And I want you to design this garden. And he did. He designed this beautiful, beautiful garden for us. And it was going to be like an English cottage garden. So I had, you know, all those, those um, elements um, in, in the property, which, um, yeah. And so what, why, what inspired then that choice to sort of then do your own practice? Like how was that related to, to the journey of creating the home? Well, I think for me, I was really tired at that point because I'd been pushing myself in this career and I knew I wasn't going to, we weren't going to have children. So I thought, well, you know, is this what I want to keep doing? But what happened though is when we finished the build and I started my own practice, we then had life's problems, which is, we don't have money because my business wasn't going to really pay me for a little while. And so there was a lot of pressure and we were still living in Sydney. So my um, husband said, you have a job. You've got to make sure that we make money from this house. Otherwise, we can't literally survive. So it became a, a matter of survival. So... I remember thinking, okay, I've got my brand development back background, the marketing, all that from the law firm. I, why don't I make, why don't I create a brand? And I had a friend here in the mountains who, who was either creative and he also would join me and we would sit there looking at uh, the house that was just being finished and thinking about ideas. And I said, well, why don't I actually have a name? Why don't I call it? Ren and Whippet. <laughs> and, and that's obviously my surname's Ren, and we had two Whippets, which, you know, two dogs that I, I love so much. So, you know, my friend was like, yes, and let's create a, a service, an Airbnb that's unlike any in the mountains. It's not like, you know, uh, an old style home that doesn't have the convenience and luxury that it ought to have 
which a lot of the homes in the mountains sort of was was having you know you'd you get a little cottage but it it wasn't luxurious or it it um had very day-to-day call so um, my friend said there is a real potential to create something beautiful so i thought okay we'll do that we'll create this airbnb unlike no other and he said you know you have to get instagram <laughs> So I thought, oh, heck, the most amount of likes I get on my personal Instagram is 30. So this is going to be interesting. And so I, I thought, okay, let, let, let's get Instagram. And at the time, uh, he had uh, uh, another friend of his who was a photographer in the mountains. And she was also a social media uh, manager. And she said, I'll take care. I'll start your Instagram. Okay. So she started the Instagram and, and then I thought, oh, I'm, I can't really afford to keep you continuing. And so I said, I'll take over. <laughs> and uh, that, that was the beginning of my Instagram history. And I remember thinking, I, I do, I want this home to be something that people enjoy. And I want it to be, um, in front of the right people. So I, was, I had no idea about Instagram, by the way, at this stage. And it was really a learning curve for me, hugely. I was just looking up. I started by looking up at other people's Instagram accounts that I liked and going, that's the look that I'm going for. And, and so uh, I remember one of the Instagram accounts was Arafel Park. And it's this beautiful home in the Southern Highlands. And I just loved the aesthetic of the whole thing. So I thought I'm, I'm going to start doing that. And amazingly, when I started that, almost immediately I was approached by a blogger and by other bloggers and Instagram influencers, quote, unquote. <laughs> and, and so... I just thought, I'll just start welcoming people in. Yeah, if they want to come in, they can stay for the night on the house, take some photos. And then I got approached by Country Star magazine. That was, that was like, wow. <laughs> I was really excited about that. And I'm, um, I met uh, Bridget Arnott and uh, uh, the team from Country Star. And they came in, took the photos. Within, literally within a couple of months of finishing the build, we were in Country Star magazine. And for me, that was a big, that was a big, I, I guess, milestone in the Instagram path because suddenly I had that sort of almost like a credibility, uh, but it was suddenly in front of a new audience. And it also opened up a new community for me. I remember at the time I would try and work out ways to enhance the service provided on, you know, in my Airbnb. And to do that, I had to always connect with people. So connect with the lady who would make breakfast, uh, connect with another lady who would create the cheese platter. So I was really connecting with community. And that continued on Instagram. I started to build a network of people that are very supportive, 
very encouraging and um, this whole concept of community of competition actually started to develop. My Instagram journey was never about trying to be better than anyone else, but it was always about trying to learn and trying to, um, I, I guess, just put on my grid, my Instagram account, something beautiful. And if someone was going to follow it, I, I always hoped that they would take something away that would enhance their life or um, make at least their day smile or be brighter. So, yeah, that, that for me was, uh, was the beginnings. And, and what about now? Like your Instagram feed, obviously it's probably changed quite a bit since those, yeah. those early days. Yeah. And um, I, I always kind of get the impression that you've got a very um, engaged and kind of active following, for want yeah. of a better word. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you share, sometimes you share poetry and you share quite like what could be seen as random things to somebody who doesn't know your story I guess what is it that you choose like what's your intention I guess now Um, I mean obviously in those early days it was probably about you know promoting your your place as an Airbnb Um, what about now like what is it your intention with how you show up on Instagram I I think that's a a good question Um, I always believe the why in anything you do is is very important. And when I started it, the why was obviously to promote uh, an Airbnb, and um, to to make sure that it 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 was something that told a story. And the storytelling element continued. And I started about three and a half years ago. And what's happened as the purpose changed. So I sold the first house and we then immediately bought this cottage and started renovating it. I I realized that at that point, my Instagram changed as well. <laughs> People who were trying to follow an Airbnb suddenly were following a poet. <laughs> and they're like, what the heck? We thought this was just about interior design. Um, but I saw it as a platform to to be able to pursue what I always had underlying in me, you know, the things that helped me survive life. And for me, Instagram became uh, almost a part of a meditation in the morning or at night or whenever I posted, and also became part of a community. And the more I understood the community and realized that these were like a lot of women who were entrepreneurs or creators, they were always talking about telling stories, sharing stories, um, uplifting one another. And suddenly Instagram no longer became about promoting an Airbnb. It became about storytelling and using it as a platform to do whatever I imagined I could do. So my vision is to be able to... um, continue to write and to have an audience that are very engaged as you, as you say but to also be able to in the future uh, have projects whether it's prints that I want to to be able to sell or books or poetry 
um, it could be it would be basically my marketplace and I already have a community of people who are there engaged um, and very supportive of me so it's it's changed dramatically <laughs> but the essence has been the same which is really about me growing as a creative person and telling stories and what one of the things that um again like it was sort of back to that early covid period yeah. and i remember um you like putting your phone there and you know like um you've got, you had the most amazing like um headscarf and you had like maybe lipstick on and you're playing your guitar and now I can see like almost the connection between that time of being in Cambridge and then but I remember thinking when I saw you do this on Instagram not knowing all the backstory like I was like wow like that's so amazing to have that confidence within yourself and that self-possession and like just that sense of needing to get that creative part of you out and I think that so, that's something a lot of people struggle with on Instagram is it's it is a very strange place and I know that you and myself I I you know increasingly there are more photos of me on Instagram because I know that people really connect with that and and it's nice I know that I enjoy when I see people on their feeds and and you kind of have a better sense of who they are and and what it's about and um but I know a lot of people struggle with that yeah. to actually to be themselves on Instagram and to be who they really are yeah. and um is that something that's been a journey for you to kind of actually put yourself out there a little bit more? I, when I started Instagram, I appreciate the fact that people are following a house, you know, a house that had a soul, but it, it didn't dance and it didn't play the guitar and it certainly didn't write poetry. So I, I, I understood that. But then as I started to develop as a creative voice. I also found myself, you know, engaged with the community. And last year in April, I went away on a creative retreat in Binda with a bunch of wonderful women, most of whom I didn't know. Um, but the person who, had, who was central to organizing it was Louisa Brimble, who is a fantastic and amazing woman and photographer. Um, an entrepreneur and I remember her saying and actually it was something that most of the women there said because we had to talk about our fears and I would say something like oh I'm not a real photographer <laughs> you know I'm not a real writer I'm not real and they would just be like no what come on Cass you are a photographer stand up there and say you're a photographer okay fine all right maybe a little bit <laughs> and they're just like do it and and also put your name out there put your name put your face be who you are and let people see you and i think um that's when i began to go right uh i should do that i should start to put my, my myself out there and just before this actually before this retreat I was invited by three 
Airbnb homes to do the photography for a campaign they were having. And I thought to myself, why are they asking me? Like, I'm not, I'm not actually a photographer. <laughs> um, but they said, Kaz, can you please come and help us with this campaign? Come to the three properties, take photos. And, you know, so I went, okay. So each time I went to a property, I took a friend as a model. And I started to play around with videos. I started to tell stories. Um, I, I, was, I started taking a lot of photos and I was really happy with them. The, the, all, the, all the properties were amazing and the photos that I was able to capture, I actually was really proud of it. And so that's probably the background to me in April going, oh, I'm not a real photographer. I did this job. And it was fantastic and I had a great, great time. But really, like, I, I'm not a photographer. And so that's why uh, all these ladies would like, don't be ridiculous. You did such an amazing job and you are a photographer. So, yeah, that was when I accepted that I should be out there. I should put my name out there. I should put my face out there. Um, and that's probably, the face probably came out more recently. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, especially COVID. COVID, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was stuck in my bedroom and uh, um, I was tapping my fingers going, hmm, well, how should I like, create content? Oh, I know. I'll do what I always do, which is dance um, all by myself. So, yeah. Okay, so I've got to ask you also, um, well, first of all, just on that photography thing. So you're talking about using a DLSR, like tripod, that kind of thing. Did you teach yourself or did you do a course or how did you learn that? Because um, a lot of people struggle, myself including, yeah. going from using an iPhone to actually using, yeah. you know, a proper camera. Well, I think I need to, every person that I meet on this journey teaches me something. And what happened last year, there was another very important, I felt like last year was just every month, was a massive milestone in my life. And um, one big milestone was inviting a friend who I'd met on Instagram, another creative person from France, to come over. Um, Camille Davos, uh, she has her Instagram, um, is uh, Faces of the Frontier. And at the time, we had developed a friendship, but I was calling her out to help me with my creative my Instagram project like how do I take this to a new level and at the time I'd already been taking photos and I'd, I'd self-taught but it's interesting that when she came we in a span of four weeks it was intensive I was looking after a vineyard in orange because well <laughs> why not <laughs> I know nothing about vineyards but I was doing this and it was a, a time where I was learning about how to take photography to the next level. So yeah, I could take photos and I knew a little bit about composition. And I remember Louisa Brimble always on her Instagram, always talking about composition, color, tone, all those sort of things. But when Cam came from, from France, we also played a lot, of, lot with presets and editing. And I realized that the photos that we put on Instagram, a lot of it has to do with, well, yes, it's good to have your composition right. But to get the proper 
um, editing tool was essential. And so I remember Cam um, actually helping me create my own presets using Lightroom. And it would mean that it would save me all that time trying to edit individual photos and I can have my own style. So I did a lot. I, I learned a lot from Cam when she came about Instagram, um, the photos, the content, and also not wasting people's time. <laughs> so it was important that the photos were good quality and the content, the written content, was something that didn't waste a person's time with just ramble but actually had uh, something that would leave someone with uh, a warm feeling or you know improve their day so I had to mention that because in terms of learning photography that was essential it wasn't just about having a great camera in fact you can take a great photo just using your phone it's about understanding lighting it's about composition but it's also about how to take any photo and make it look exceptional using editing apps yeah and just sort of in a very basic kind of way like what are the things that you like to do in a practical way like that you like to do when you're editing the image um i i'm a massive stickler for composition and making things straight I look out for that and um, sometimes uh, less is more so I like to zoom in and to, to bits of the photo that I actually really like but I also wanted to create a consistency in my approach to all my photos on my grid as, as they call it um, without sounding like it's fake and phony it's not it's it's essentially a book, you know, and when you publish or you create or put a book together, you have to have a consistent approach from paper to the tone of the, um, the, the, the photos to the writing. Um, and so Instagram for me is a book that's endless. <laughs> Every day you write and you paid and you don't need a publisher because it's self-published. Um, so it's... It, yeah, I, I learned a, a lot about that during the process. And for me, yeah, I would say that uh, color and tone, it doesn't necessarily have to look like uh, a picture that resembles absolutely true life because, I mean, we enhance. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's the, t uh, the license we have as creatives. We can enhance the reality to make it spectacular. So, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, we're in this, um, oh, I'm going to say second home, but I know it's more, you've done more than two homes, yeah. um, which is also beautiful. It's got a different feel to, I mean, I haven't been in the other one, but from what I've seen of the other mm -hmm. one, um, but it's still very striking. What are some of the big lessons that you've learned in terms of designing homes and uh, what resonates with you and what's important in terms of the vision that you want to create and a little bit about your process? I, I think very much like running a case. You need to uh, imagine what, where you'll be at the end. And I remember with 
preparing a case, I would imagine being in a courtroom and being faced with all the obstacles that would be presented to you at the time and preparing that, preparing for that in the beginning. So when it came to designing a home, it was important to understand what you wanted from it at the end and what mattered. So from aesthetics that warmed, that really resonated with you, to understanding how every piece would look like and what the end result would be. Because you can't just do things on the whim along the journey because it's just going to end up in, in like a jigsaw puzzle, which is okay because, to be honest, like a home continues to grow and develop as you live in it. You know, you bring your own parts of it in. But the basics of designing needs to have that vision at the end. So that's why I always drew everything, every room, like it would look like at the end. And I stuck to that vision. So that's, that's the one, one thing. The other is, is the budget. And without fail, the budget is always doubled. It's, it's ridiculous. But uh, as I keep doing a build, I get good relationships with, um, you know, different uh, businesses that would provide, you know, from the tiler to kitchen taps and bathroom. And then so when you have good relationships, you can try and find ways to reduce the, the impact um, that costs would have on the budget. But I tell you, a home, especially renovating a home, can be an endless pit. It just, it's sometimes I think it's more costly than building a brand new house. Yeah. And one of the things that people often ask me is about this question of like your your decorating style or if you like lots of different styles and, and how do you prevent your home from kind of being a hodgepodge of things. What, what do you feel... Like, what do you gravitate towards and what's important to you when it comes to the mix? Because I think that's something that you do really well is that it's you walk in here and it's not just like everything is it's not all old and it's not all new. And you've got this beautiful mix of old and new and um, different textures and, and so on. When you were talking, I was immediately thinking about one of my most favorite design, you know, uh, eccentric characters out there, uh, and that's Diane Keaton. And she, she wrote the book, <laughs> The House That Pinterest Built. Pinterest for me is very important <laughs> because that's where I go, what do I love about a home? I'm going to then have different categories and I'm going to place those ideas in those different groups. So it could be the cottage or the studio, you know, and I'd group my ideas. And from there, I, I then worked out, well, what do I want to bring into this home? So here, there were things that I absolutely loved, wanted to have it here. And I also wanted to kind of experiment a little bit. So things are kind of outside my comfort zone. My first house was very Hamptons, very white, neutral. And I thought, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake things up a bit here. And I'm also going to make this home more me, so more 
um, really speaking out my character and things that I love, the books, musical instruments, um, art. So I thought, how am I going to do that? I also love European influence. So I love Paris and I love New York. I love those apartments. So New York and Paris apartments have a lot of steel in them. Um, artisan lights. So I thought, right, I wanted to do that. And um, the first thing I did was approach Murabon Paints and got them to come to the house. And I said to them, all right, fine. I'm not going to do white. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's do color. And let's actually do the cabinetry in the same color as, as the room. You know, let's, let's go crazy. So um, I remember Rowena from Eurobond would be like, okay, how about this color um, here? And I already had an idea what I wanted, but she kind of pushed that a little bit more. And I thought, okay, we'll try that. Then in terms of the light, there were specific, because of the budget, of course, we can't go crazy. So... There was particular lights that I absolutely wanted um, to invest in. And, and so there's a company called Woe and We Collection um, that have their, their workshop in Lyon, in France. And I wrote to them and I said, I love those lights. So they shipped it. It was actually really easy. Like they were so good. Um, they, they, I know that they send, they work with Australian um, companies and designers. So I got these beautiful French artisan lights for um, the land room. And then I went crazy with all the other lights. I just, I went to, you know, different um, suppliers. But for me, yeah, there were, there were elements absolutely wanted. And importantly, I wanted a house that had many bathrooms, but every bathroom had to be different. And it had to feel like a room, not just a bathroom, clinical space. So one bathroom, I have a picture gallery. Another bathroom, I have the stone flooring and um, paneling rather than tiles. I think people think bathroom being a wet room should just have tiles everywhere. So I went, no, 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 let's have paneling. Um, let's have lights. Let's have a bathtub. And the other room... I love external um, plumbing, you know, the, the copper plumbing that comes out. So I thought I had to have, have that. So, yeah, in this house, I definitely went for bathrooms that are rooms, lights that were interesting, paint colors that were out of my comfort zone. And then, of course, the kitchen. <laughs> and I said to Rowena from Mural that I, I wanted it to... Like, I love devil um, kitchens and uh, plain English kitchens in, in the UK. I always followed their kitchens and I was like, yes, I, I want that style. And so I said, I want a particular type of green for this kitchen. So she actually developed it and named it after this house. Um, she called it Arethusa. And I loved it. And uh, yeah, and so the, yeah, the kitchen, my, my best friend um, actually designed my kitchen, uh, Carolina. And she, yeah, she did. Uh, I said to her, this is what I want. This is my vision. And I must say one of my favorite rooms is the kitchen. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, got, I got a stove that 
um, my brother-in-law and husband were like, this is the most impractical stove <laughs> in the world. I said, no, but it looks great. So, yeah, the kitchen is one of my favorite rooms. And so you recently sold the house, so that's why I had to quickly come here and come and see you before you sold it. So um, I know that you're going to be renting in the short term, but do you see another house in your future? Mm -hmm. And do you have any sense of what that might be? Yeah, I definitely would like to return back to the mountains, but there there are a lot of options. So I have a friend... uh, Belinda, uh, who lives in Kharkov, she's like, Cass, there's this plot of land, you know, and you can see, you can see the, the church or there's a church over here, it's for sale. So I keep having these potential opportunities to create my next home and I think whatever I do next, it will be my home, and, but it will also be an Airbnb. I'll, I'll continue that, that line of business, I think that. That for me, it's more than just a business. It's it's a community. It's um, creating a story in the form of a home and sharing that with people. So I'm addicted to it, to be honest. So uh, I probably won't have uh, the same kind of budget that I'm used to, but I think that's going to be even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a perfect note to, to end yeah. this part of uh, the questions. But... As I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, um, I do have some other ones which are just a kind of quick question. So whatever kind of comes um, mm. to mind. So the first is, which five words best describe you? I know you, you mentioned that and I, I haven't thought about it actually. <laughs> um, so, so that means I'm going to have to be, um, um, yeah, uh, on the spot. Uh, well, uh, creative, um, passionate. I'd like to think I'm kind. I think kindness is important. Um, inclusive. Community is very important to me. And the last one would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a perfect combination. Um, what's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Wow. That's in one sentence, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, for me, the best lesson would have to be uh, there's nothing more important in life than treating people well. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, but actually be driven by trying to make a difference in people's lives and being. Um, giving at all times and so humans (laughs) humans and people um and sharing is is i think the most important the one constant i hate to steal the word from bruce door but one constant in a world of variable is definitely um love and our interactions with other people what's your proudest career achievement Given that I have many different kind of careers, um, I, I think for me, probably the proudest career achievement would be um, becoming um, a senior associate in a law firm that 
was full of men and and I was you know a colored woman so it it wasn't uh, something that was easy to get to but that was you know that's my legal career <laughs> so I would say that that was my proudest achievement there but in terms of my creative world it would definitely have uh, be having my home in country style magazine that was pretty pretty good what's been your best decision whoa <laughs> um yeah i feel like i've made lots of decisions in my life um my best decision oh my best decision would have to be to live a life that's authentic and true to myself and to um praise truth and not yeah that's one of those things that is often one of the hardest things to do as well isn't it um who inspires you ah oh, um i i have a list <laughs> do they have to be alive or dead or famous or I'm inspired by a whole bunch of people. I'm inspired by um the community that I have on Instagram. Um everyone that follows me and takes the time to to actually comment and it's it's interesting. It's not just people who comment on my general posts, but people who write to me directly to say how are you. That poem sounded a bit, you know, full on and then they'll tell me about their life. and i find that inspiring i'm inspired by friends um you know who always are there for me in in times of trouble or hardship i'm i'm definitely inspired by my 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 mother she's had to deal with so much in her life and she's been a rock so she's Yeah so she's 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 up there with my sister you know they they both of inspirational women so i must say there's a lot of women in my inspiration um circles so uh, yeah i would have to say that in my life at the moment it's these people from different circles and i'm constantly moved by them what are you passionate about Ha. <laughs> uh <laughs> love. I'm passionate about love. Definitely I'm a romantic and um there's yeah, there's some people that that take um that take a little bit more of my passion than others. Um but I'm definitely passionate about anything where I can express that that love. whether it's music writing photography dancing yeah what dream do you still want to fulfill well uh i definitely want to be published even self published or just to be able to con- gather all my poetry and photography in one little you know <laughs> um touchable uh, uh book and to be able to say i've done that i i've always wanted to be a writer and when i was about yeah uh, 17 18 i went to um 
Bryce Courtney, who was signing all the books. And I remember saying to him when he said, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be a writer. And so he wrote in the book, Cass will be a writer. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to be. And I think I am. I mean, on Instagram, I'm writing all the time. But yeah, I definitely like to have everything to put in one nice little pocket. What are you reading at the moment? I'm reading a book that's taken me forever to read because I'm such a busy person. So um, it's a book by Bell Hooks called uh, All About Love. <laughs> and it's actually, it's interesting. It's not, it's not talking about love in a kind of uh, whimsical, fairytale kind of way, but talking about love in a more judicial sort of what's love in it as justice. What's love as being fair? What's love, you know, um, why do we love and how do our, our history and family and background impact on our ability to love? So I found that pretty fascinating. What are you listening to at the moment? Do you listen to any podcasts or obviously you love music? What yep. kind of music? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, um, I, I, I listen to Spotify a lot. <laughs> And I have various playlists, but in in February, March, before COVID uh, kind of robbed us of um, live music, you know, in a in a crowded space, I actually went to see two artists that I really love. Um, Aldous Harding, she's a musician from New Zealand, and she's eccentric and very interesting. And the other one, Julia Jacqueline. And she's actually originally from the Blue Mountains, but also her music is beautiful. Great. Do you listen to any podcasts? Um, I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts until probably six months ago, but um, definitely it's something that I want to do, want to get into, and your podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know that um, there's this, I've had so many people send me podcasts to listen to, and that's uh, yeah, the, and there's there's a few saved uh, for me to look at. So yeah, when I start driving, because I'm going to be doing a lot of country driving very soon, I'm going to be listening to podcasts. Um, and finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> uh, leave sooner. <laughs> <laughs> like just don't be afraid don't be afraid it's going to be okay thank you so much for sharing your story i've really enjoyed listening to you know to to your journey and hearing more about it um it's it was started to rain quite a bit before we started recording this interview and it's kind of gone nice and calm and it feels like the perfect kind of ending to um, to this interview. So I really appreciate it. And now we're going to go and have dinner. So. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this interview and learning more about Kaz's creative journey. Before you go, if you haven't done it already, I'd really appreciate if you could take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It really does help getting the word out to other people who might find it useful as well. You'll find show notes for this episode at nataliewalton.com forward slash 
podcast forward slash 27, because this is episode number 27. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunchalong Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.